All right, yeah, you don't want to miss next weekend, that's for sure. Bob joked around last time we saw Mike Donnelly on a video that he has nothing to do. So I feel like this time we just made him play two parts. We're like, give you something else to do. You can do both roles. Uh, he does a fantastic job for us. But next weekend, we're going to be talking about our mission. Our mission is to be empowered by God to reach people for Christ. And we're going to talk about, as a church, how we can continue to do that mission. Bob and I will be doing the message together, which we've never done before. And I'm a little nervous. Bob's a loose cannon in situations like this. I'm... <laughs> The whole time, I'm going to have to keep him in line and try to figure out what I'm going to say, so it's going to be an entertaining weekend for you, for sure. Uh, happy Mother's Day, everybody. Uh, my mom has had such an influence in my life. The values and the beliefs and the things that I live by and, and believe in have been shaped so much by her, so so grateful for each of you uh, who have done that for your kids or your mom who's done that for you. Great day to remember that for each of us. Hey, if you're new to our church, we are excited to have you here because we are looking at some of the most difficult questions that people have about faith and about Christianity. In fact, let me ask you, where do you turn to when you have a question about something? Speaking of Bob, our senior pastor, he was standing in the doorway of my office recently and he was trying to remember a sermon illustration that he had given years ago. He said, what's the name of that pilot that safely landed on the Hudson River? I said, pfft. How would I know? I have no idea. So I just kind of went back to working on my message, but he was still standing in my doorway. And he's like, I can almost picture the name. It's right there. I just can't quite get it. I said, Bob, Google it. Just go use the Google. You don't have to remember anything anymore, which is good for, you know, you. I said, you don't have to remember anything anymore. All you got to know is how to use the Google. Now, that's just simple, trivial questions about, you know, who landed on the Hudson River, but who do you turn to for information or wisdom when you have a more important question? A question like, should I date that person, or should we take out that loan and go into debt? Who do you ask for for wisdom then? The self-help book industry is a $9.6 billion a year industry. Comedian Stephen Wright says that if you're ever at the bookstore and somebody asks you, where is the self-help section, that you should tell them, can't tell you. That would defeat the purpose. You need to go help yourself. <laughs> I wander bookstores just waiting for someone to ask me that question one day so I can use that joke. But it's a $9.6 billion a year industry. Not only is there self-help books, but there's magazines, there's podcasts, there's blogs, there's websites. In fact, as I was researching this message, I looked at the most popular women's magazine of all time, and I looked at the last 10 years, every article written in it. Here's the most popular women's magazine of all time. No doubt you've heard of it. Cosmo Self, Martha, World of Living Help. <laughs> and when I read every article in this magazine, you could put them into four very distinct categories. The first one was 21% of the articles were about what guys secretly think of your makeup, 24%, what's he thinking when you enter the room? 26%, the secret to getting any guy. And 29%, how do you decode his body language? And I'm just going to tell you, all the advice that they were giving in these articles was wrong. Okay, let me just clear this up for you. What are guys secretly thinking of your makeup? What's the score? There's a guy on third, did he get in? That, that might be what they're thinking. What's he thinking when you enter the room? What's the score? Did they score a touchdown or was there a turnover? I missed that. What's the secret to getting any guy? Know the score, okay? 
Maybe feed him as well. I think that helps us for most. But Now, guys, you're not off the hook. You have your own magazine as well. Here's the name of your magazine. It's called Men's Journaling GQ Self. And every article in this magazine boils down to three different categories. The first one is this, 37% getting great abs. 34% getting killer abs. 29% lose your gut and get super abs. But we live in a world where there's no shortage of information. There's podcasts, there's blogs, there's websites, there's magazines and self-help books. And then there's the Bible. For a lot of people, the Bible is like vegetables. They know they should read it more than they do. In fact, according to the American Bible Society, people in the age group of 18 to 29, they were the least likely to read their Bible. But that same age group was the most likely to say that the Bible contained wisdom about such practical issues like dating, marriage, sex, relationships, and family. 66% of the people in that age range said that they believed that the Bible contained all of the answers to life's greatest questions. Now you just think about that for a moment. You believe that this book contains the answer to all of life's greatest questions, and yet you hardly, if ever, read it. It's like somebody who's starving to death right outside the door of a pizza ranch. I mean, all you gotta do is just open up the door. Oftentimes when I'm talking to people these days and I ask them, well, why don't you read the Bible more? The response that I'll get is this, well, I'm just not even sure if it's true. The term fake news became popular in 2017. It was Facebook that did not properly vet and regulate different headlines. And so there was headlines showing up in people's Facebook page that looked real, but actually weren't. Here's an example of some of these headlines that you may have seen, but these weren't real. Weapon-toting clowns go on murderous rampage. You can imagine people are freaked out. Clowns? Murderous rampage? Are you kidding? This led to the second headline, which was this. Congress passes law authorizing citizens to legally fire on suspicious clowns. It's a rough gig being a clown these days. I mean, if you are a clown, I do not envy you. You used to be able to show up at a birthday party, tie a balloon in the shape of a wiener dog, and kids would love you. These days, because of all the movies that we have out, you show up at the party, kids are like, Mommy! And they're hiding behind their parents, crying, just at the sight of you. Now half the population thinks they can shoot at you if you look suspicious to them. Which, by the way, is any clown not at the circus. Okay, if I see a clown walking down the street, I'm like, what are they doing? Here's another headline. Elderly woman accused of training her 65 cats to steal from the neighbors. That might be true. They told me it wasn't, but I'm telling you, cat lady's up to something. I don't know what it is yet, but she's up to something. But here's my point. In the media-driven internet culture that we live in today, we have become conditioned to not believe everything that we read. We want verification. We, we want to know that what we've read is true, and we look to verification from other sources. The same thing applies to the Bible. I was talking to a guy just recently. He said, you know, Christians need to stop quoting letters from 2,000 years ago. His point was, you can't base your beliefs and your values on some letter that was written like 1,000, 2,000, whatever it was, years ago, he said. Then I was talking to another guy, and he said, you know, I, I don't really read the Bible, just to be honest. He's like, what is it, a couple thousand years old? 
And I mean, it's been changed over the years. I mean, people have added their own interpretations. They've changed things as they've copied it. I mean, I don't really read the Bible. Used to be when I would listen to messages on this topic, I would hear pastors quote from 2 Timothy 3.16. And that verse says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that. I, I, I agree with what Paul's saying in that verse. But I remember when I was skeptical to Christianity, I would hear pastors use that verse to prove that the Bible's true. And I remember thinking, you're using the Bible to prove that the Bible's true? I mean, that is a circular argument. If you already believe the Bible's true, you're like, yep, that settles it. But if you're skeptical, if you don't believe the Bible's true, you're going, wait a minute. You're not going to convince me that the Bible is true by using a Bible verse. If we're going to believe that the Bible is true, then we have to ask the question, what sources, what verification, what evidence outside of the Bible itself is there that it's true? Let me give you three pieces of evidence. Here's the first one. The Bible has archaeological support. We live in a day and age where you would expect that if the Bible were unreliable, we would be finding new archaeological discoveries every day that contradict what the Bible said. The opposite is true. Archaeology keeps confirming the Bible. Let me give you a few examples of this in Luke chapter 3. And notice all the specific details that Luke gives here of places and cities. He writes, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar... When Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, the ruler of Galilee, his brother Philip, the ruler of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. Folks, that's the payoff of years of seminary right there. <laughs> that is job security for me, knowing how to pronounce those names. Okay, You're good at a lot of things, but I feel safe as long as I can pronounce all of those names. But here's my question for you. How concerned do you think Luke was with historical detail? I would say that Luke was very concerned. This is not the kind of language that you hear in fairy tales or myths. He doesn't say in a land far, far away, the word of God came to John. He doesn't say once upon a time, the word of God came to John. No, Luke is historically precise. And every single one of those names and cities that I just mentioned have been confirmed by sources outside of the Bible as being real people and real places. But for years, scholars questioned what Luke wrote here because of this guy named Lysanias. The historical records show that Lysanias ruled 50 years later than Luke says that he did. But then recently, they were doing an archaeological dig and they found an inscription about Lysanias and it turns out there was two different guys named Lysanias. Luke was right that Lysanias ruled Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Over and over again, archaeology has supported the Bible. For years, scholars who were skeptical of the Bible said King David didn't even exist. You know, the guy who wrote Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Slayed the giant Goliath. Pfft, you're crazy. He's a fictitious character. He doesn't even exist. Then in 1993, they found an inscription 
about King David, king of Israel. And all of a sudden, every historian agreed, yeah, I guess he did exist. For years, scholars said that Moses could never have written the first five books of the Bible because that form of writing wasn't even invented yet. Then in 1974, they found this group of documents and they dated them to 1500 BC, the time of Moses. And all these scholars said, well, I, I guess Moses could have written it. For years, scholars who were skeptical of the Bible looked at Pontius Pilate, the one who crucified Jesus. And they said, made up name, not even a real person. All this stuff that you hear about on Easter about Pontius Pilate, he's not even a real person. They just made that name up. And then recently they were digging and they found a pillar that was inscribed to Pontius Pilate from Caesar. And they realized Pontius Pilate did, in fact, exist. Over and over again, archaeology has supported the Bible. So much so that leading archaeologist Nelson Gluck said this. <clears throat> he said, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever contradicted a single biblical reference. Now you just think about that. Of everything that the Bible talks about, all the names, all the people, all the places, he says, we haven't found anything in all of our archaeological digs that will contradict one thing that the Bible says is true. Here's the second piece of evidence that points to the Bible being true. It's this. The Bible was accurately translated. Things get lost in translation all the time. This was illustrated well by one of my all-time favorite commercials. Take a look. Das hier ist mein Sektor. Das hier ist das wichtigste Gerät des Küstenwächters. Das Gerät und das Gerät. Überlebensradar. Mayday, Mayday. Hello, can you hear us? Can you hear us? Can you... Over. We are sinking. We are sinking. Hello? This is the German Coast Guard. What are you thinking about? One of the best commercials ever made. That was a commercial done in Germany for a class on learning English. And it illustrates well this idea that things can get lost in translation sometimes. That's what a lot of people think happened with the Bible. They think, oh, well, scribes over the years have changed it, and we don't know what the Bible really originally said. But again, is that true? Well, historians look for two criteria. The first one is, how many manuscripts do we have? Because then you can compare them to one another. And the second thing they look for is, how close are those manuscripts to the original? Because legends and myths don't develop within people's lifetime. With that in mind, let's look at a couple of historical documents that historians believe are true and reliable and accurate. Julius Caesar wrote Gaelic Wars, and we have 10 copies of this. And the earliest one dates 1,000 years from the original. So the earliest copy we have of Gaelic Wars, we think, is about 1,000 years later than it was actually written, the original. And historians consider that to be extremely reliable in ancient literature. Pliny the Younger, nephew of Pliny the Older. No, I'm serious. That's actually true. Look it up. Pliny the Younger wrote seven, we have seven copies of a book he wrote called Natural History, 750 years from the original. 
This next one is pretty popular. It's Homer's Iliad. We have 600 copies of that. The first one dating a thousand years from the original. Now, how does the Bible compare? Just for fun, what would make you feel good? If we had 15 copies of the Bible, would you feel good about that? Got 10 copies of Julius Caesar. What if we had 200 copies of the Bible? Would, would you feel confident in that? According to Bruce Metzger, who was the world's expert on this from Princeton University, we have 24,000 copies of just the New Testament, some of which date 50 years from the original. This is unheard of in ancient literature. It's why Norman Geisler, a scholar, has said that the Bible you hold in your hand is 99.5% pure. What he means is if we were to have the original manuscript and we compared it to the Bible you read, it would be 99.5% pure. There might be some misspellings, there might be some missed words, but nothing that would change any belief or doctrine. In 1947, a group of boys were playing in some foothills near a city called Qumran, and they threw a rock at the hill and it made a hollow sound. So they started to search around and they found a cave, and in that cave were what is now known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, we found 225 copies or fragments of the Old Testament. There was a full copy of the book of Isaiah, which dated a thousand years older than any other copy of Isaiah we had up until that point. This was important for two reasons. The first one was this. At that time, scholars had looked at Isaiah chapter 53, and it, so much, it seems to be clearly talking about Jesus talks about this man who's going to come and he's going to suffer for the sins of his people. He's going to be led away to the slaughter. He's going to be beaten and whipped. Seems to be clearly talking about Jesus. So much so that scholars said, well, Isaiah had to have been written after Jesus lived and died on earth. And then they found this copy of Isaiah in this cave and they dated it and it was well before Jesus was even born. And people started to say, well, maybe the Bible is a supernatural book. But secondly, it was, it was interesting because when you looked at this copy of Isaiah that was a thousand years older than the other copy we had, they lined up. There were some missed words. There might be a misspelling here and there. Might be a, a letter off. But nothing that would change any doctrine or any belief. The Bible you hold in your hand is an accurate translation. Several months ago, I was on Facebook, and one of my Facebook friends said she was looking to buy a Bible for her son, and she was wondering what translation she should buy. And so I was curious, and so I clicked below, and one of the first people said, get the King James Version, because it's older and therefore closer to the original Greek and Hebrew. New Testament was written originally in Greek, Old Testament written in Hebrew. Next person commented below, they said, yeah, all modern-day translations add their own interpretations. They add stuff to it. More and more, and I don't know why, I hear this from people. They'll say, you know what, we don't really know what the Bible said. These people who have copied it and translated it, they've added their own interpretations. When I was in seminary, I was in seminary for five years. I took Greek almost every year that I was in seminary. So five years of Greek. I took about three years of Hebrew. One time I had to translate Genesis chapter 1 from the original Hebrew into English. Took me like a week to do this. 
When I finally got done, just out of curiosity, I opened up my NIV Bible. I read it, and I thought, way to go, NIV translators. I thought, I wish I would have just copied the NIV and said I did the assignment. <laughs> I mean, there it was. Do you know who translates the ESV, the NIV, the NLT? Do you know who those people are? They list them at the beginning of your Bible. It's not like it's some secret. These men and women are the best Greek and Hebrew scholars in the world. And they have no affiliation with each other. It's not like they're sitting in some secret room starting a cult. Going, let's just add our own interpretations and then we can brainwash people. No, no, no. They hold each other accountable. I know we love conspiracy theories. But these people are the best Greek and Hebrew scholars in the world. Here's the differences in translation. Some translations are word for word, and some translations are thought for thought. So the ESV is an example of a word for word translation. They take the Greek and the Hebrew, and they go, what English word is the most equivalent to this? And they just plop it down. Other translations are thought for thought. Greek and Hebrew are different than English, so they don't just take the word, because sometimes that's not a readable sentence, but they'll look at the sentence and they'll go, what is this author trying to convey? What's the main thought here? And then they'll put it in an English sentence that you can understand and apply. That's the difference in translations. In fact, remember the Facebook friend who said, get the King James Version. It's closer to the original Greek and Hebrew. Actually not true. King James Version was written in 1611. Do you know what's happened since 1611? We've found new manuscripts that are older and closer to the original than those that were available in 1611. That's what the NIV, ESV, NLT are based on. Nothing wrong with the King James Version. If you love Shakespeare, go out and buy one. But if you want something you can read and apply, I would recommend the ESV Study Bible, NIV Study Bible, or NLT Life Application Bible. But the Bible you have is an accurate translation. Here's the third piece of evidence. It's this. The Bible contains numerous eyewitness accounts. Who wrote the Bible? Well, there's four Gospels. They were written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew was an eyewitness. He heard everything Jesus said. He saw everything Jesus did. John was the same way. Mark interviewed Peter, who was an eyewitness. And Luke was like an investigative reporter. He interviewed several eyewitnesses for his account. In fact, did you know that 11 of the 12 disciples were murdered because of their faith? 11 of the 12 were told, hey, unless you recant your belief that Jesus rose from the dead, we're going to kill you. And 11 of the 12 said, well, then kill me. The one who wasn't killed was a guy named John, and they said to John, John, if you don't tell us that you lied and said you saw Jesus after he died, but you really didn't, if you don't do that, we're going to throw you in a boiling pot of water. John said, can't do it. They threw him in a boiling pot of water. Somehow he survived and was exiled to an island called Patmos. Now, I don't know about you, but the moment they're about to throw me in the fryer at McDonald's, I'm out. I'm like, you know, it's funny because we, we said we saw Jesus after he died, but we actually, we made that up. The disciples were in a position to know if what they were saying was false. That's different. We all know people who die for religious beliefs that they think are true. But the disciples were in a position to know 
100% of what they were saying was false. They would have known if they were lying about seeing Jesus in resurrected form, and yet 11 of the 12 were murdered for their faith. Now, you can agree with everything I just said. You can agree that the Bible's reliable and inspired by God, but still not read it. In fact, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, the second best-selling book of all time is the Guinness Book of World Records, but it's really not even close. The Bible wins in a landslide. Every single one of us owns a Bible. If I said to you, do you have a Bible? Almost all of you would go, yeah. But some of you would say, you know, if I'm honest, I really don't know where it is. I mean, I, I own one, but it's, it's on a shelf someplace. I think it's in the office. Might be in my nightstand by my bed. I'm not, I'm not really sure. And if that's you, I hope this next quote challenges you. Because it challenged me years ago when I didn't really read the Bible that much. It's by Howard Hendricks. He said, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. He said, dusty Bibles always lead to dirty lives. He's right about that. That when I'm not reading the Bible, I'm a little more anxious than I usually am. I'm a little bit more irritable. I'm a little bit more self-absorbed than normal. I find myself lacking spiritual strength. Years ago when I would work out, I would just run on the treadmill and never lift weights or anything like that. But then one day my treadmill broke. And for two days I was just trying to get a workout in, so I was lifting some weights. And so I was standing in our bathroom mirror flexing. You know, just checking out, you know, seeing how things were looking. And my wife walked in. And so I just threw it out there. I said, hey, look, I'm getting ripped. Now, we've been married for almost 15 years at that moment. So I don't know why I thought maybe she'd be like, you know. <laughs> or at the very least, maybe like, yeah, dog, way to go. But instead, she just looked at me and she goes, oh. And she started brushing her teeth. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. But see, here's the truth. You don't get ripped in two days. You lift weights, and over the course of months, over the course of years, all of a sudden, you start to become stronger. And the same principle applies spiritually. You don't become spiritually ripped just coming to church every now and then. You don't learn to love the Bible and have God speak to you through it just by reading it, you know, once a month, once a year kind of thing. It takes getting in God's word every day for you to start to grow stronger spiritually. What if you said this year, I'm going to read a chapter of the Bible every day. I'm going to set an invite on my phone for early morning. And before I have breakfast, I'm going to spend time reading the Bible and just asking God, what are you teaching me, God? I'm going to spend time over lunch, take a quick lunch break, go read my Bible. I'm going to read my Bible before I go to bed. I'm just going to lock it in right before I go to bed. That's what I'm going to read. And what if you read one chapter? The goal isn't to race through it. The goal is to read it thoughtfully and prayerfully. To look at a word or a phrase and say, God, what does that mean? What are you trying to teach me from this? What are you, what are you speaking to me from this? Some of you say, you know what? I, I don't like reading. Well, that's okay. You can get the YouVersion Bible app. It's absolutely free. You can listen to the Bible. 
One of my colleagues listens to the Bible while he takes a walk. Another one listens to it while he works out in the morning. But they are putting themselves in a position where they can hear from God. My oldest son, when he would wake up in the morning, when he was like two or three years old, he was funny because he would always ask for permission to wake up. My other kids don't do this. They, I wake up, they're eating Skittles, watching cartoons. They're like, we've been up for hours. <laughs> but my oldest son, he'd always yell out. He'd go, mommy, daddy, is it time to wake up? And I used to love sleeping in, but when I would hear those words, I would run to his bedroom. And I had this thing where I'd stand outside his door and I'd burst in and I'd sprint over to his bed and I'd wrap him up. And the whole time he used to yell out, daddy, daddy, daddy. And that's how we would start our day sitting and talking to one another. And sometimes we would just talk about how we slept and toys or something, but other times I could tell that he needed some encouragement from his dad. And so I would say things to him like, you know what, God loves you and you don't have to be nervous about that or afraid about that. God's gonna be with you. Do you know that you have a heavenly father who is waiting to just burst into your heart. And he wants to wrap you up. And he wants to have a daddy, daddy, daddy moment with you. Jesus says that when we pray, we can refer to God as Abba. And it literally means daddy. And I'm telling you, some days you may not feel like you need it, but there's gonna be others when before you start your day and all the busyness and the criticism and the opinions, you need to hear what God thinks. You need to be reminded of who God says that you are. You need to ask God for wisdom and direction for your life. Some of us here today, you came to church, you just feel weak. And you need to hear a verse like 2 Corinthians 12, 9, which God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. You need to take that verse with you this week. That's not just words on a piece of paper. That's God speaking to you, saying, I know you feel weak, but when you feel the weakest, that's where I'm gonna be the strongest. And you can trust that and you can rely on that this week. Some of us are suffering we're struggling. And you need to be reminded of the truth of Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And you need to remind yourself, yeah, this is, I'm going through this pain right now. I'm going through this suffering right now. But if I love God, somehow, some way, he's going to work this for good. And I'm going to keep reading that verse until I believe it. Some of us here today carry with you shame and guilt. You did something this week or this year, it just weighs you down. So much shame, so much guilt. Romans 8.1 promises, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And you need to remind yourself of that truth, that I belong to Christ, and there's therefore no condemnation for me. 
Some of us today, you're feeling discouraged. What if you could wake up and you could hear God say these words, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Which of those verses do you need to take with you this week? Those aren't just words on a piece of paper. Those are God's words speaking to you, into your life, giving you exactly what you need when you need it. And you could have that every day. But you got to open up the book. And you got to spend some time with God. Let's close in prayer at all of our campuses together. You can remain seated. God, I pray for every person here. Lord, every one of us has an issue that we're dealing with right now. Would you bring that to our mind in this moment, God? What, what is that issue that we're struggling with? What's that issue that we're dealing with? What is that issue that we need to hear what you say about it? God, I pray that as we open up your word this week, that it would be living and active. It would be alive. God, that you would speak to us, that you would give us exactly what we need when we need it. And God, give us the discipline and the self-control and the desire to pick a time, pick a place, and to get into your word. God, I thank you that you are a God who speaks to us, that you are a God who will speak right into our life. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great weekend, everybody.